0: Coming up, the D-back season is officially over, so can it be considered a success? And looking back at my preseason predictions and seeing what I got right and what I got wrong on today's Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. Welcome into the Locked On diebacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, I'm Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please. Go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there. You can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles, to my photos, and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Dimebacks both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. I want to go through my preseason predictions And do a little right or wrong on my preseason predictions. But before we get there, I first want to discuss the D-backs season and talk about whether this season should be considered a success. Because the D-backs have ended their 2022 campaign against the Milwaukee Brewers. And they did it in style with a 4-2 victory. And if you remember last year, the D-backs ended the season against the Baltimore Orioles. And I don't even remember, actually. It might not have been against the Orioles. But regardless, if you remember, Josh Van Meter had a walk-off home run the last day, the last game of the season last year, and that took the D-backs from the number one slot in the draft order to the number two slot. So last year, when the D-backs won the last game of the season, it was kind of bittersweet. Yes, it's good to see your team go into the offseason with a win or end the season with a win, but... Truthfully, us D-backs fans wanted the D-backs to lose that game because it would have secured the number one pick in the draft. But now that's kind of you know a mute point because the D-backs still got the best player in that draft, Andrew Jones. But you look at this game today for the D-backs and it felt good to end this season with W. It wasn't like last year where we wanted that number one pick. It felt good to end this season with the W and the way we did it too because we had to make a comeback in the ninth inning and Josh Rojas two-run home run, Corbin Carroll also had a solo shot in the ninth inning, D-backs take the lead in the ninth, and they pull away with the victory, Kevin Ginkle is able to come in and close it out for the save, and you just end the season on a pretty high note there, and now we enter the offseason with a whole lot of question marks, and I think more optimism than pessimism, and I want to ask the question, now that the 2022 Diamondbacks season is over, Was this a successful season for the D backs? And you know, there's many different angles you could take this because obviously the D backs didn't make the postseason. So some people automatically would be like, any year you didn't make the postseason, it should be considered a failure. But also remember, the D backs were coming from like a 50 win team last year, right? They had one of the lowest win totals in the league. They were Second lowest win total in the league last year. They had like their worst record in franchise history last season. So now you see this D-backs team. They end the year with 74 wins, 88 losses. And if you think back to the preseason, you know what the D-backs over under was on BetOnline.net coming into this year? 66 and a half wins. I don't know, I thought the D backs were going to win 66 and a half games. I remember on multiple top pods before the season started, I kept predicting D backs probably going to win 73, 72 games. I probably had their over under at 72 and a half, and they even slightly won more games than I even expected. So, Point number one, this D-back season is a success because they absolutely crushed the over-under they were expected to have before the season started. The second reason I believe this season is a success is because I feel really good about the starting lineup and the rotation heading into next season. Because yes, there are still question marks in the lineup and rotation, but some of the question marks, like specifically the lineup, it's like, we have too much talent. Like, how do we configure the lineup for next season? Specifically, when you look at the outfield with the Thomases, the Varshos, the Corbin Carrolls, the Jake McCarthys. Like, how do we figure that outfield out? Josh Rujas and Man Rivera. How do we figure out third base next season? So, like, this D backs team, I feel really good about the lineup because I feel like we have a lot of dudes who could be starting players in our lineup, and we just don't have enough spots for them. So, having too much talent, I think, is a good problem. I look at the rotation. Back at the all-star break, I would have told you, outside of Gallon and Kelly and a little bit of Zach Davies, this rotation just isn't very good. I was never a big fan of Humberto Castellanos back when he was starting uh, games as well for this D-backs team. But now, you look at the D-backs rotation in the second half going into next year, we're going to have Gallon, we're probably going to have Merrill Kelly, and then you put Dre Jameson and Ryan Nelson in that rotation as well, potentially Brandon Fat as well. Yes, Ryan Nelson, Dre Jameson still probably have big question marks because it was such a small sample size for them this past year. Brandon Fat, we got no sample size on him, but still going to next year, that's still a ceiling. That's optimism right there, right? That's potential you could sell me on. So I have a lot of hope that that rotation could be good next year. I still don't know what the D backs are going to do with Madison Bumgarner because that will be a huge question mark for that rotation. He could be. The really the anger that holds back the rotation next year because I feel so confident at least in four of the five starting pitchers if you throw Ryan Nelson and Dre Jamison out there with the gallon, Merrill Kelly. But if that fifth guy is Madison Bumgarner, that will not make me happy at all. But at least going to next season, Yeah, there's question marks with the lineup and rotation, but guess what? Most of them are good question marks. Most of them are, we have a lot of talent. How do we figure, how do we give them as many opportunities as possible? So I like having too much talent as one of my issues. And then the third reason why this season was a success is because we had hope in September. Yes, it was probably never realistic that the D-backs were going to make the postseason or the wildcard game, but the fact that they got within, what, seven, eight games at one point, and we were like, whoa, the D-backs just passed the Giants in the National League, uh, in the NL West division standings, they just passed the Giants in the wildcard standings, and basically the whole month of September, the Giants were considered, quote-unquote, in the hunt, in that wildcard race, so if the D-backs were passing the Giants in the standings in the month of September, then guess what, you also had to consider the D-backs a team in the wildcard hunt as well, and so for this D-backs team to look as good as they did this season and play teams like the Giants who won over 100 games last year really well, like the D-backs, I would have to look it up real quick. It'll take me about 2 seconds but I believe the D-backs had above 500 record against the Giants this year. Yeah, the D-backs were 10 and 9 against the San Francisco Giants this season after not being good against them last year and that was a 100 win team last year. Like really you look at the D-backs against most teams this year and they do a pretty good job against most of the league. Where the D-backs really struggle in the area that they have to improve greatly on next season is their record against both the Padres and the Los Angeles Dodgers because we've talked a lot about how the Dodgers have owned the D-Backs this season. We know about Merrill Kelly's struggles against the Dodgers this year. D-backs are five and fourteen against the Dodgers this season. But also, the D-Backs are also five and fourteen against the Padres this season. So I feel confident against the D-Backs across pretty much any opponent in baseball, but against the Dodgers and Padres, those two teams have severely had the D-backs number. The last few years. So the D backs need to improve in areas to beat those two teams, but when I look at the 2022 campaign for this D backs team, it feels like we're not far off. Like, that's my overall point. It kind of feels like the D backs that, that season before we signed Madison Bumgarner, where the D backs probably had a really hot September. They finished the year with 80 plus wins. That's why they went to the offseason and signed Madison Bumgarner because they felt like they were really close and might have been a major piece or two away from making a weird, uh, a real wild card run. And for this D backs team right now, I don't think they're far off. I think potentially they could make the wild card. Card next season I think in two years they they are going to be firmly in the mix for a playoff spot but for at least next year if the D-backs are able to figure out their bullpen and have like a Ryan Nelson and Dre Jamison continue what they did this past season with what Zach gallon Merrill Kelly can continue to do and then your lineup basically you just get a full season of the Corbin Carrolls maybe Jake McCarthy continues what he did this past season like All the potential is there for the D-back to compete for a wild card spot next year. I don't think this team is far off. They just have to figure out the bullpen. Then then I think they'll be right there in the mix for the playoffs for the foreseeable future. Because we're probably going to have Jordan Lawler coming up next season. And then the year after that, probably Drew Jones. So I love the trajectory that this D-back team is on. And after this 2022 season, I'm definitely considering it a success. Now, if you want to bet on which preseason predictions I got right and wrong, you need to head to betonline.net. One second, I have to pull up the little overlay for betonline.net for the YouTube channel. Also, I think I forgot to mention, follow Locked on backs on YouTube as well if you haven't done that already. We've been sitting on 169 subscribers for the past week, so please go hit that subscribe button, but... BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf, head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's look at my preseason predictions and see what I got right and what I got wrong from the D-backs 2022 season. I'll start with the position players first because the way I did my preseason predictions, I did five predictions for position players, five five predictions for pitchers. So we're going to first start with the position players. And the first one I had was the MV. P and my preseason prediction was Ketel Marte for the position player MVP and this one I did not get right because Ketel Marte had himself a really down season it was not the Ketel Marte year that we all expected like Ketel Marte's final slash line well technically not final because this is this hasn't been updated with today's final game yet but Marte entering the year or ending the year with a 240 average, a 727 OPS, just 12 home runs, 52 RBIs in 137 games, just not good enough for Ketel Marte. So, I actually this is the only award where I actually have a pitcher down in this category, because I believe the MVP of the team, I guess you could have gone like Christian Walker if you wanted to pick a position player to stay with the spirit of the award, but I think the MVP of the team was Zach Gallon. I don't think it was particularly close. Zach Gallen was by far, in a way, the best player the D-backs had this season, I think, from totality, from the start to the finish, and remember, Zach Gallon missed time at the beginning of the season with injury, and he still finished the year 254 ERA, a .91 whip, Uh, Hits per nine, 5.9, strikeouts per nine, 9.4, 184 innings pitch. Zach Allen had himself a hell of a season, and I believe he's going to finish second in the Cy Young voting. And because of all that, his scoreless inning streak as well. Zach Allen was dominant this year. I believed he could have gone at least six or seven innings every time he took the ball. Excuse me. If he gave up more than two earned runs, I was. Surprise. So Zach Allen, you were by far and away the MVP of the team this year. So I got that one wrong. How about this one? Breakout player for the D-backs this season. I had Dalton Dalton Varsho as my answer in the preseason. And I just feel like I'm slurring my words right now. And Varsho, he didn't have a bad year. I wouldn't call it a breakout year. It was kind of similar to last year. But a full season of Dalton Varsho, 150 games. We did get 27 home runs. We got 16 stolen bases. We like to see that. Average 237, OPS 750. I like to see those numbers rise up. So it was a good season for Varsho. I think he did take a step in the right direction, but I wouldn't have considered it a breakout season. So I'll say my prediction was wrong because... Easily, the D-backs breakout player of the year was Jake McCarthy. Someone I've talked about a lot, not really on my radar. He's going to end the season with, let me see, did he play today? Jake McCarthy, he went 0 for 4, so his final slash line is actually 283, 342, 427. But if I told you Jake McCarthy in nearly if I told you Jake McCarthy in 99 games was going to bat around 290 with a near 800 OPS, near double-digit home runs and 20-plus stolen bases, you would be like, sign me up all day. Jake McCarthy might be our best outfielder if he puts up stats like that, and that's exactly what Jake McCarthy did. Breakout season, this was a former first-round pick by the D-backs, 39th overall pick back in 2018, and he's just someone that I didn't really expect coming into the season. I've talked about it a lot. He had 24 games with the D-backs in 2021 wasn't very impressive. I didn't think this is someone that the D-backs were going to give real opportunity to. I didn't think they really valued Jake McCarthy that highly, and I surely was wrong. And I also think Jake McCarthy took the opportunity and ran with it. Like, whenever Toy Lavello played Jake McCarthy at the beginning of the season, Jake McCarthy usually produced, and he never stopped producing throughout the whole year. So he's a great... um example of someone taking the opportunity and running running away with the opportunity and not just getting handed the opportunity, actually earning the job and running with the job. So I love Jake McCarthy for that. My sleeper player of the year was Seth Beer, and I think he's still sleeping because he did not a lot for the D-backs this season. I talked about it yesterday on yesterday's pod that Seth Beer was incredible, those first 11 games, he had a over 400 average, over 1100 OPS, but he had like 7 hits his final 27 games of the year, and Seth Beer ends the 2022 campaign with a 189 average, 521 OPS, and one, just one, home run, I believe it came in the first game of the season, so... Seth Beer was not the sleeper player of the year for the D-backs. Really, the sleeper player of the year for the D-backs was probably Christian Walker, who many people weren't really talking about coming into the year because 2021, really down season for Christian Walker as he dealt with injuries. 2020, the power really wasn't there. He had a solid season, but the power really wasn't there, so basically... The last couple of years for Christian Walker, he wasn't really on anyone's radar. People know they had a good year in 2019, but then they had that weird COVID year 2020. Injuries plagued 2021 where he didn't produce at the same level. So no one thought Christian Walker, the one-year wonder, was maybe going to put up the kind of season he had at least in 2019. Like People might have thought 2019 was the outlier in the fluke. And then he comes into this year and puts up 36 bombs, over 90 RBIs. Uh, near 800 OPS Christian Walker had himself a phenomenal season he's going to win the gold glove as well like he did it from the plate he did it in the field and Christian Walker I'm feeling real good about him entering next season as my middle of the order at bat dude that could hit 40 home runs major slugger so I love Christian Walker and I love what he's done this season uh, the player that I said was under the most pressure in the preseason, Paven Smith, and I would have said that is accurate still to this day because Paven Smith did not get a lot of run. He started the season really slow, and so Torrey Lavello sent him down to the minor leagues for about three months there. He spent a long time in the minor leagues, and Paven Smith since being called up, I feel like he's been really good recently since being called up, and, um, I mean, the numbers don't tell the whole story. I feel like when I watch him, he's looked better. The numbers still say around 650 OPS over the last couple weeks, but at least since he's been called up, he at least looks better to the eye test. But still, I would say there's a lot of pressure on Paven Smith, or you can even say there's no more pressure on Paven Smith because the season that Christian Walker just had, Haven Smith is not going to crack first base. The D-backs now have four to five legitimately good outfielders that are better than Pavin Smith so it's not like he's going to crack the outfield so there might not be pressure any longer on Pavin Smith because I just don't know how you fit him to this lineup anymore but the new player that I would say has major pressure on them among position players is Carson Kelly because we already saw one half of that Paul Goldschmidt trade be traded away in Luke Weaver Carson Kelly this season ends the year with around 215 average and a 620 OPS. Not a good year for Carson for Carson Kelly. Played over 100 games, just never from start to finish. Never got it going. I thought maybe post injury he looked like he had some signs of life post injury, and he was never able to get going. So for Carson Kelly, major question marks heading into next season because is he the guy that we saw in 2019 where he hit 18 home runs in 111 games or? Is he more of the guy that we saw this year in 2020 where he really just didn't do much at the plate, below 700 OPS, couldn't really hit for average, kind of just a liability out there offensively? I love what he's done defensively behind the plate this year. I think he's really grown as just a catcher, but offensively, liability for Carson Kelly, and I don't think we would have said that when we first acquired him, so hopefully he can bounce back next year. And then the last preseason prediction that I had among the, among the position players, I said my second half player to watch in the preseason was going to be Alec Thomas, and I would like to say I probably got that one wrong because he started the year so early with the D-backs, and then in the second half, he really faded, didn't play well in the second half, and then by the final two, three weeks of the season, he was sent down to the minor leagues to help get his swing back. So... That one I probably got wrong because he made his debut in the first half and then really wasn't that effective in the second half. I think the real answer to this question, second half player to watch, Corbin Carroll, because he got called up in September. And he was electrifying to watch those however many games he played with the D-backs um, this past season, 260 average 330 OBP and a 500 slugging Corbin Carroll showed off the speed the wheels I mean how many videos have you seen hit Twitter since he's been called up just showing off the wheels number one in sprint speed I believe still on Statcast. got power got pop I love Corbin Carroll he's been the second half player to watch for the D-backs in 2022. Now let's transition to the pitchers and talk about my preseason predictions for the pitchers. And I said the D-back Cy Young was going to be Zach Gallen. That felt like the obvious one to give it to. And he definitely was the d backs Cy Young Award winner this season. I don't think I really have to litigate too much why he was the d backs Cy Young Award winner. If you watch the D-backs this season, Zach Gallen was by far their best pitcher. And he was one of the three best pitchers in the National League this year. So Zach Gallen, you definitely deserve the d backs Cy Young Award. I said the D-backs breakout pitcher was going to be Merrill Kelly, and I would like to say I probably hit that one spot on because Merrill Kelly had himself a breakout season. He had probably the best season of his career until this point, and after today's game, Merrill Kelly ends the year with a 3-3-7 ERA, one earned run, seven strikeouts, and six innings pitch in his final game of the year. Merrill Kelly, once again a workhorse, had 194.1 innings pitch. Entering the last game of the season, he pitched six innings, so Merrill Kelly... 200 innings on the season, a mark that not a lot of pitchers hit in Major League Baseball anymore. So the fact that Merrill Kelly is going to be a sub 3-4 guy with over 200 innings pitch, great whip, doesn't walk a ton of dudes. I love Merrill Kelly. He was the breakout pitcher for the D-backs this season. And I hope he can continue it again next season because if you have Zach Gallen. I'm not worried about Gallen at all. I think as long as he's with Brent Schraub, he's going to look like a Cy Young candidate every year. Merrill Kelly... I still don't know how repeatable it is because I don't know how much I can trust guys who come over late in their careers from overseas and then have breakout seasons, their fourth, fifth year in Major League Baseball when they're in their early 30s. So I don't know how replicable this season is for Merrill Kelly, but next season, if he's another 190 innings pitch guy with around a 3-5 ERA, D-back rotation is definitely going to be good enough to maybe be a playoff rotation. My sleeper pitcher for this season entering the year was Sean Poppin, and I don't think Sean Poppin had a bad season. He was probably one of the four best D-backs relievers throughout the year. Only issue was he missed a bunch of time with injury this year, so I would like to change my sleeper pitcher from Sean Poppin to Kyle Nelson, who we gave praise to yesterday on the pod because Kyle Nelson... Really effective this year. If it wasn't for Manthapai and Kyle Nelson, the D-backs would have had no one coming out their bullpen this season that you could even trust. Kyle Nelson is one of the two bullpen pitchers I trusted mightily this year. Kevin mcginko might have pitched his way into maybe being a trustworthy bullpen arm for next season. We'll see about that. But Kyle Nelson, one of the go-to lefties right now in the bullpen elite whip 101.081 whip. I loved what he did this year. Great and high leverage moment. So he was definitely the sleeper pitcher of the year because honestly, I didn't even know who Kyle Nelson was entering the season. And he ended up being one of the most dominant and trustworthy D backs relievers throughout the year. So I love you, Kyle Nelson. Also want to shout out um for the breakout pitcher. I gave it to Merrill Kelly, but I want to give a quick honorable mention to Joe Mantiply. Also breakout season, I mean, he was an all-star this year. At one point, he had won the craziest records for a left-handed pitching reliever by not allowing a walk. So, Manipi, I don't want to forget you. You also had a breakout season for the D-backs this season. Next preseason prediction for the pitchers. Most pressure, I said this was going to be Luke Weaver, and this was spot on, super accurate because Luke Weaver just started the season so slow. He started out in the bullpen and just never got it going. I mean, it's just been the Luke Weaver that we've seen the last couple years, right? Since 2019, we saw nothing new from Luke Weaver this season. Just not effectiveness. Like, he just wasn't producing at all. A lot of hard contact, a lot of walks as always. Um, I'm trying to find Luke Weaver's stats here. Um, because we okay, here he is. I couldn't find him for a second. 771 ear with the D backs this season, 14 earned runs and 16.1 innings pitch, 13.2 hits per nine, 1.776 whip. He did have 10.5 strikeouts per nine, that was his only saving grace. But the hard contact, the loud contact gives up a ton of it, gave up a ton of runs. I was never a big Luke Weaver fan post-2019 because he never pitched like a guy who I should be excited about post-2019. So I was glad that the D-backs traded Luke Weaver. I didn't love the return, but Emmanuel Rivera so far has been decent for the D-backs. He started out really hot, but Emmanuel Rivera the last few weeks really hasn't done too much at the plate. Rivera, he ends his season with a 227 average. and a, Well, let me see what he did specifically with the D-backs. Okay, 227 average, a 728. OPS really not much better than what he did with the Kansas City Royals. Um, in terms of output of power doubles and home runs, he did better than what he did with the Royals. But in terms of average and just getting hits and getting on base, not too much better with us as opposed to Kansas City. So we'll see about Manuel Rivera for next year. Not a huge Rivera guy. I would like to see third base go primarily to Josh Rojas, but Rivera Rivera will definitely get his shot in 2023 to man third base. And then I said the second half pitcher to watch in the preseason was going to be Corbin Martin. Uh, We barely saw Corbin Martin this year. We saw him in the first half of the year. I I don't even know if we saw Corbin Martin post-All-Star break. I would have to check the numbers on that. So I definitely got that one wrong. But instead, I got two pitchers here who were amazing to watch in the second half. And that's Ryan Nelson and Dre Jamison because, look... If you just looked at their minor league stats, they weren't really putting up impressive numbers before they were called up by the D-back. So I was a little skeptical when they got called up and they just wiped away any skepticism I might've had. They look phenomenal. They both look like mid-rotation to frontline starters for this D-back team going forward. And considering we got Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen already, you're sliding those two as your three number four starters heading into 2023, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident about that. So I love Ryan Nelson, Dre Jameson, and they were the best pitchers to watch in the second half of the D-backs in 2022. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Thank you for making the lock. Thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. Go make your second listen of the day, Locked On MLB with my pal Sully Baseball, Walking Baseball Encyclopedia. You hear him every Monday, so go check out his podcast. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. doses.